Allow me to introduce myself. Boris Badenov at your service. Told you 158 times I cannot stand little notes on my pillow. Inconceivable! By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I've got more stories about things that I grew up with or things that were parts of everyday life. And they're just gone now. They don't exist anymore. They're things that we can't experience even if we wanted to. Okay, maybe that's overstating it a little bit. A few of the things on this list are things that we can experience. But they're unique or rare things these days. When I was growing up, these were just everyday facts of life. What inspired this episode today is a news story that I was reading about Bruce Springsteen's last tour. I'm assuming it's his last tour. I guess he hasn't really said it's his last tour. But Bruce is in his 70s now. I'm not sure how many more tours he's got in him. Not to say he can't tour when he's 85 if he wants to, but I'm not expecting too many more tours. Anyway, the point is, there was an article about Bruce Springsteen tickets going for four and $5,000 a piece. Four and $5,000 each. I mean, I can take my family away for a week's vacation for half that. How badly do you need to see Bruce Springsteen to spend $4,000 for one ticket? That's crazy to me. And the reason it's crazy to me, aside from the fact that it's just ridiculously expensive, is that when I was a kid, ticket prices were reasonable. One of the explanations that Ticketmaster gave for these prices is what they call dynamic pricing. Basically, it's Ticketmaster saying, oh, the scalpers are getting all the money for the tickets? Well, we're changing our pricing algorithm. When you log into our website, we'll tell you what the going rate is for tickets now, and you can decide if you want to buy them. That's a concept that just blows my mind. It used to be when they'd have a concert, and when I say they, call it Bruce Springsteen, call it the Beach Boys, call it John Denver, call it Keith Urban or Kenny Chesney, whatever artist you want, in order for you to buy tickets, you usually had two choices. You could go to the venue where they were, and I'm just going to use the Meadowlands Arena because that's near me. It's one of the places that I saw a lot of concerts. You could either go to the Meadowlands Arena box office, or you could go to one of the locations that's an authorized ticket vendor. Ticketmaster was one of them, and Ticketmaster would have offices in places like Macy's, the department store, or at Sam Goody or Tower Records. And by the way, Sam Goody, I mentioned Sam Goody, it's a record store. If you wanted concert tickets and you couldn't get to the venue itself, you would go to your local record store where they sold records and cassette tapes and 8-track tapes and whatever kind of music you wanted. There was a little booth in the back of the store and that's where the Ticketmaster office was. Now, obviously, this is all pre-internet. But pre-internet, that's the only way you could get tickets. Go to one of these physical locations and buy the tickets there. And if it was a big enough show, there would be a line involved. And so you'd have to camp out sometimes if you had a really popular show coming in. Like in New Jersey, a Bruce Springsteen show would generate huge lines, and they would sell out quickly. But to get the tickets, you had to go to the location. And this was true for bands, it was true for comedians, it was true for classical concerts, ballet, Broadway shows. If you wanted tickets, you had to go to a physical place and buy them. All right, technically you could buy tickets by phone. Ticketmaster had an 800 number, the theater had an 800 number, or at least a direct dial number. But the problem, especially with something like a Bruce Springsteen concert, the lines were always busy. You could never get through. Believe me, I tried. 
So oftentimes, the best bet, your best chance to get tickets, was to go to the physical location, either the venue itself or a Ticketmaster office. And the thing about the tickets then, the pricing was set. There were basically four categories of prices. And for lack of a better way to do it, I'm just going to give you four general categories. There was ridiculously expensive. That was like front row and VIP and people with money who had nothing better to do. They would buy the ridiculously expensive tickets. Then you had just the expensive tickets. The expensive tickets were basically floor seats. You know, in an arena, there's that first floor where the stage is. Then there's the first mezzanine and the second mezzanine. And in some cases, a third mezzanine. Back then, the really expensive tickets were on the floor. Because back then, people would buy ridiculously expensive tickets, or just expensive tickets, and then stay in their seats so you didn't have to stand the whole show. You would stand occasionally, but people actually sat down and listened to a concert and enjoyed the show. I've complained about that in the past. You can't go to a concert anymore and just enjoy the show. But let's not revisit that today. But that's why they were expensive tickets, because you could get a good seat and you could see the show. So you had ridiculously expensive... Then, just expensive. Then you had the affordable seats. Those were usually like the first mezzanine. Little further back, little higher up. You didn't see as well, but you could still see okay. And then after the affordable tickets came the cheap seats. Those were the ones in the second mezzanine or the third mezzanine, way in the back row, way high up in an arena. The performer, whoever it was, was a little dot on the stage down below you. You sometimes needed oxygen to get up to the seats. They're so high up. Okay, maybe that's an exaggeration, but not much of one. When I first started going to concerts, I would get cheap seats because that's all I could afford. But cheap seats were genuinely cheap. You could get a cheap seat ticket for like five bucks. You'd be sitting in the back row in the upper deck, but you'd be there. And a lot of times that was all you needed. Just be there for that live performance. But the thing is, each of the seats in each of the categories was a set price. There was no dynamic pricing. The dynamic pricing happened when the scalpers got involved, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But you might get really expensive tickets for a hundred bucks. The expensive tickets might be fifty. The affordable tickets might be twenty. And the cheap seats might be five. Because they wanted to fill the arena, but they also wanted to give everybody a chance to go see the show. There was no fluctuation in price. It was one set price. You wanted an expensive ticket, you saved up your fifty bucks a seat. If you were taking a date, you needed a hundred bucks. That was it. You knew it. You knew it going in. So you take your hundred bucks with you to the box office or to the tower records and wait in line at the Ticketmaster booth and you'd buy your tickets and they'd have a little map of the arena there. They'd have all the seats. They'd show you which ones are available. It wasn't a computer screen. There were no computer screens. It was a paper map. And I remember it was under plastic. And as they sold tickets, they would X out the little seats on their little map. And so you knew which seats were available and which ones were not. Nothing was computerized, but it didn't need to be. Buying a concert ticket was like buying a movie ticket. You had to go to the venue and go buy the ticket. And I remember waiting in line. There were a couple of concerts I remember waiting in line for. I remember waiting in line for tickets for a Jay Leno concert. This is long before he ever hosted The Tonight Show. This is back when Jay was A, funny, and B, still touring. And my brother wanted to see him. And I'm trying to remember. I think it was an anniversary present for him and his wife. Might have been a birthday present. But either way, the show was coming up in, I want to say, March Tickets went on sale in January, and to get the tickets, you had to either go to the box office or go to Ticketmaster. Well, I happened to live near where he was playing, so I decided to go to the box office, and I wanted to get really good seats. The box office opened at 11. I decided to get to the ticket booth at 7 a.m., and there was already a line there. This is back when concerts like this were big, and Jay Leno was selling out arenas. This was at Centennial Hall in Toledo, Ohio, and I knew Centennial Hall very well because I actually played basketball there. 
So I knew where the ticket booth was, and I knew I could get a good spot in line if I got there early enough. Well, I got a decent spot in line, but at 7 a.m., the line was still halfway around the building because everybody wanted tickets. And I remember waiting in line, and it was outside. The ticket office was right outside the arena. There was a window there. You'd go up to it like you go to any ticket window. And once it opened, you'd buy your tickets. But until it opened, you had to wait. Toledo, Ohio, in January, is not notorious for its warm weather. But I really wanted those tickets, so I camped out for four hours in the January cold at Centennial Hall in Ohio, and I got those tickets. Got really good seats, too, because I was there at 7 in the morning. I think it was second row, which is great for a comedy show. You see everything, you're right there. But that was the process. That's what you had to do. Were they 30 or $40 tickets? Probably. I don't remember exactly what they cost, but I'd saved my money, wanted to get them, and I was able to get them. And it was a great show. I remember it being a great show. But that was the process. Now, I mentioned scalpers. These days, we call them third-party resellers. They're scalpers. I grew up with them as scalpers. They'll always be scalpers. Ticket scalpers are the guys who go to the box office with no intention of going to the show, but who wanted to buy as many tickets as they could and then resell them. Now, in some states, that's against the law. The laws have been changed over the years. But some legislatures recognized it's really not fair for you to buy a ticket for 50 bucks and then resell it for 100 bucks and pocket the difference. There's something a little wrong with that. The people who really want to see a show should be able to see the show paying whatever price the ticket actually is. So some states and some venues crack down on scalpers. But you can only crack down so much. And the scalpers exist to this day. If you go to a sporting event, you can find a guy scalping tickets out front. If you go to a concert these days, you can find a guy scalping tickets out front. Even websites like StubHub are basically the opportunity for scalpers to sell their tickets. Now, if you're really good at using StubHub or some of the other third-party reseller sites, you can get good deals because some people will buy tickets in the hope of making a profit. And as the date for the show gets closer, they realize, oh, these aren't selling. So if you can wait them out, you can get a good deal. But that's what scalpers have always done. They've gone to the venue, bought up as many tickets as they can, and then resell them. That's dynamic pricing. It's a supply and demand economy. A guy goes up and buys all of the supply. You want it? You got to pay my price. And I get that from a money-making perspective, except I've never been a fan of it because there are people who genuinely want to see Bruce Springsteen or Kenny Chesney or the Little River Band, to name an old band. And they can't afford scalper prices. They just want to have their chance to go see their beloved band in person. So why do you have to screw that up? It's like the same people who bought up Cabbage Patch dolls back in the day when those were popular, or PS5s these days, with the intent of selling them for as much profit as they can make. You're not using it. You don't need it. Yeah, you want to make a quick buck. Who doesn't? But at the expense of somebody who needs a Cabbage Patch doll for their kid, or someone who wants a PS5 to actually play it, I get it. I just don't necessarily agree with it. But circling back to the dynamic pricing that Ticketmaster is employing, Ticketmaster is trying to take the middleman out of it. They're trying to take the scalper out of it, to a point. And I get that, to a point. But the problem with that is Ticketmaster is basically saying, we don't want you paying that money to the scalper. We want you paying that money to us. That's what dynamic pricing does. It drives the price of the ticket up so that Ticketmaster can make the money. You're not getting a deal. They're not protecting you. They're protecting their pocketbook. So this dynamic pricing BS that Ticketmaster is trying to pass off as us protecting the consumer, don't believe it for a second. Protecting the consumer involves giving you a set price, knowing what you're going to pay for it, and then making sure that the actual consumers who are buying the tickets are going to the show. How do you do that? In this day and age, I'm not even sure you can. 
Do you give everybody a quiz on Bruce Springsteen to make sure they know all the lyrics? I don't know. Do you limit the number of tickets people can buy to two? I don't know. I mean, in a perfect world, you would buy your tickets and pick them up at the theater at the will call window. That would work. Bring an ID, bring the credit card, you have to pick them up in person. I mean, imagine the lines. Would that do away with scalpers? Maybe. The problem is there's always going to be people like that. They want to profit off of your desire to go see Bruce Springsteen or buy a Cabbage Patch doll. So yeah, I miss the days of having to go to the venue and buying tickets. I miss that. And that's something we're not going to see again. Another thing that I miss, multiplayer video games. No, no, not Call of Duty Online, not Battlefield Online, not Overwatch. That's not the multiplayer game that I'm talking about. There was a time where you'd sit down with your PS1 or your original Xbox or your N64, and multiplayer meant two or three or four people sitting around the console, each with a controller, having the screen split into two or three or four segments, and playing a game together that way. I remember racing games side by side with my kids, sitting in the same room playing together, trash talking each other, screen cheating when you could. Oh yeah, screen cheating was a thing. You'd look over to see what your kid was doing or what your friend was doing. Oh, they're over behind the barrel? Okay, I'll go over there. Oh, they're coming around turn three? All right, I'll take the inside track. Oh, screen cheating was a thing. Absolutely. That's how my kids continually kicked my ass in shooting games. They'd see where I was going and follow me over there. But that's what multiplayer used to be. Multiplayer was two or three, maybe four people, depending on the game and the console, playing together in a room. And the trash talking would amount to, that was pretty lame, man. And that was it. Multiplayer and trash talking these days, very, very different. And I really kind of miss the old way. Now, these next couple of things are weird things that are really throwbacks to my childhood. You can still occasionally see them, but they're not nearly as prevalent as they used to be. When I was a kid, there was two things you could always find at the grocery store, almost always on the exit. The first was a rack of gumball machines. They were gumball machines that had those little round balls that were chewing gum, multiple colors, red, blue, green, yellow. You put a penny in the machine, get a piece of gum out. Some would also have wrapped bazooka in there. You'd put a penny in, get a piece of bazooka bubble gum out. Then there were the toy things that were also in those big gumball machines, except they weren't gumballs. They were little plastic toys in a little plastic container, but those would cost a nickel or maybe a dime. And there'd be cool little things in there. You'd get a little tattoo you could put on your arm. It was one of those water transfer tattoos. You could get an anchor or an eagle. If you were lucky, you got the devil. Yeah, we always thought the devil was cool to have as a tattoo. Don't ask me why. Oh, cool, you got the red devil. Awesome. But you'd put your dime in the machine, you'd twist the little knob, you'd hear that satisfying crunch of gears as the dime dropped into the slot, and the machine would dispense this little plastic orb. It had a lid on it. The orb was kind of like a pokeball, except you could pull the lid off of it, and inside would be your little prize. It could be a tattoo, it could be a rubber super ball, it could be a ball in Jax. Remember that game, Jax? It could be a small plastic figure, like an army guy. Sometimes you'd find ones that were just animals. You could collect a farmyard. If you were into that sort of thing, you could get a bull and a pig and a sheep. And each dime that you put in would give you a different thing. So we loved going to the supermarket as long as we got a penny for gum. And if mom was particularly flush that week, a dime for a tattoo. Those were cool, man. We loved those. That was like our little treat for putting up with a trip to the supermarket. The only thing better were the rides outside the supermarket. Those were a quarter. Those were a rare treat. But back in the day, they would have on a pedestal a miniature horse 
and you'd climb up on the horse, you'd put your quarter in the slot, and the horse would rock back and forth, maybe move up and down a little bit, and it was all dressed out in a western saddle. That horsey ride was awesome. You'd get a minute, maybe a minute and a half of rocking back and forth for a quarter. That entertained us, man. Riding that horse, oh, that was cool. Some places had a rocket ship. It was basically the same setup, except instead of a horse, they had built what looked like a miniature rocket capsule on top of the stand, and you'd sit on a little seat inside the rocket capsule, and it would rock back and forth, just like the horse. But instead of being a cowboy, you could be an astronaut. And again, for a quarter, you could get a minute, minute and a half of riding. Gave mom a little piece after that ordeal through the supermarket with you. But it was rare that we would use those, because a quarter, that's expensive. That's why those rides were such a treat. A quarter? We didn't have quarters to throw around. And with my mom having three kids, that's 75 cents. Back then, 75 cents would buy you two gallons of gas. It would buy two loaves of bread. That's why those rides were so rare to us. We didn't get to do them very often. But boy, they were there to tempt us every time we left the supermarket. Another thing that we don't have anymore is that printed list of telephone numbers and addresses. Every family had one. Some families had a little Rolodex right by the phone. And if you don't know, a Rolodex is kind of like an address card thing. The cards are set on a wheel, and there's a slot for name and address and phone number. And there was a knob on it, and it would literally roll as you turned the knob, and the cards would flip. Alphabetical, of course. Aunt May would be under A. Betsy, the babysitter, would be under B, and so on. And every family had either a Rolodex or an address book right by the phone. So the phone numbers were there, and you'd also have the addresses of everybody in there, so that when Christmas time came around, you could send cards or thank you notes for birthday presents. Oh yeah, thank you notes were necessary and required. We had to send thank you notes for birthday presents and for Christmas presents, and that's where we got the addresses. Now to go along with that Rolodex, my dad also had a birthday chart. Every member of the family, every cousin, aunt, uncle, all of his work friends, all of the people he associated with, he had a little calendar and all of their birthdays on the calendar. And he had that on the fridge. That way he would never forget. My dad didn't need Google Assistant. He had charts and graphs. But seriously, that's the way he used to do it. And that's the way most families used to do it. There was an address book or a Rolodex. And that's where you kept the information. And when I was growing up, I did a very similar thing. I mean, I knew all of my friends' phone numbers. But for the numbers that I didn't call all of the time, or to keep track of numbers for businesses or companies or acquaintances instead of friends, I had to keep my own little Rolodex, except it was a little sheet of paper. It was a little sheet of paper, maybe two inches by four inches, and I typed it out. I used the typewriter so that it would be easy to read. And I typed out all the numbers on this little piece of paper. And then I'd take that little piece of paper, I'd fold it up, and I'd keep it in my wallet. That was my little Rolodex in case I was on the road and had to call somebody. I didn't put addresses on it, but if I needed a phone number, I kept them on me in a little piece of paper in my wallet. I had my address book at home, too, because you needed the addresses. But if you wanted to keep track of phone numbers, you had to have them somewhere. Because don't forget, if you were on the road somewhere, you didn't have a cell phone where you could just push Betsy and it would put a call through. There was no cell phone. If you needed to reach Betsy or AAA or Gabe's taxi service or whatever, you needed that number. And then you'd have to find a payphone to make the call. That's why you carried the phone numbers with you, so that you'd always be able to reach whoever you needed to reach. And if, perchance, you didn't have that person's number with you, and you couldn't remember it, then, of course, you had to call the operator. I've talked about operators in the past. The operator would get you the number. But that was a pain in the ass. You wanted to have the number with you, so you didn't have to go through that extra step. We don't need address books or Rolodexes or printed lists anymore. It's all in our phone. We don't even need to remember the phone number anymore. It's in the phone. Same thing with birthdays. 
My dad's chart is obsolete. Every birthday is now in your calendar. God forbid you ever misplace your phone. You'll never remember anything. And it's true. I couldn't remember Mrs. Gamerdude's number now if you paid me. If you gave me money, I couldn't tell you what her phone number is. Because it's in the phone. I still remember the phone number from my childhood home. I still remember that. I still remember the number for the local police back in the town where I grew up. That was just one of those things you memorized. And if I really sat down and thought about it, I could probably come up with the phone numbers for my friends because I had them memorized. But I call Mrs. Gamerdude every day. I text Mrs. Gamerdude every day. Do I know her phone number right now? <laughs> no, I do not. Anytime I have to fill out one of those health questionnaires at the doctor's office, I always have to pull out my phone and look it up. Oh, geez, what is it again? I know the area code. Another thing that we don't have anymore, absolute peace and quiet. Here's what I mean. It used to be that we could be completely unreachable by anyone. We could be completely unreachable for an entire day. Nobody could get us. You could take a day off, go to the beach, go for a drive in the country, go sit in the park. People couldn't contact you. They couldn't reach you. They couldn't find you. We don't have that anymore. What we also don't have is the fact that we could disappear for a day. When I was growing up, you could go to the beach for the day. And no one would think you were rude. No one would think it was unusual. No one would worry about you if you were out of touch for a day. If you said, I'll be at the beach today and disappeared for 12 hours, nobody would think anything about it. Oh, have you seen Gamer Dude? Hey, went to the beach. And that would be it. These days, people get offended if you don't return a text within a couple of minutes. If you disappear off the grid for an hour, people will send out search parties. I remember going for drives, spending the afternoon in the car, going to a park and just sitting, and just enjoying the peace and quiet, taking a break from the day. You can still do that, but it's so much harder with cell phones now. You can't step out of your life for an hour. I mean, sit for a minute and think. When's the last time that you weren't in contact with somebody? Were you, either by yourself or with your significant other, just got in the car and went somewhere? Didn't tell anybody, didn't check in with anybody. You were gone for a day. We don't do things like that anymore. Not like that. The other thing we don't do anymore, we don't just sit quietly and wait for a bus, wait for a movie to start, wait in line for a ticket. We always have the phone. I don't mean this to sound as a rant against technology. Believe me, I love technology. I love using my phone. I love checking Twitter. I love looking at Instagram. I love keeping up on the news on my phone. I enjoy that. I could do without it. I know that I could because I grew up without it. But I notice it when I go to like a doctor's office. I'll go to the doctor's office or the dentist's office and I'll sit there waiting for my appointment and I just sit there. Sometimes I'll grab one of the old magazines they have in the rack. Sometimes. But sometimes I'll just sit there. Every other person in the waiting room is on the phone. Sitting quietly, waiting, is just something we don't do anymore. What do I think about? I don't know. I think about the weather. I think about how hot it is or how cold it is, depending on the time of the year. Sometimes I just sit there and veg and not think about anything. And I honestly think we're a little worse off because we don't do that anymore. We don't sit at a bus stop and just wait for a bus. We don't sit in a theater and just wait for the movie to start. We're always looking at something, staying in touch with something trying to keep up with something. We just don't sit and exist. And I think we'd be better if we did more sitting and existing. I think people would be happier. Being comfortable with yourself and in your own skin, it's an underappreciated skill. I still try to do it, but I do miss all of the opportunities that used to exist to do it almost every day.
So there you have it. Just a few more of the things that just don't exist anymore. Some of the things that I grew up with. Some of the things that I miss. Is the world a better place now without these things? I like the way the world is, don't get me wrong. But I like the way the world used to be, too. I embrace technology. I embrace progress. But I also recognize, eh, we've lost some things, too. So I try to keep some of the good stuff from the olden days in my life these days. And I hope today gave you something to think about. Anyway... That's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for being here. As always, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the fact that you took time to listen today. And I really do appreciate your support. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.